0: Welcome to another free first-hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. I know we want to get into the action, but I have to ask that you help me armor us up a bit for the bumpy road ahead. Because I bring you the first hour of this show without unrelated ad nonsense as a proof of concept. And if you value it, then come over to THC Plus for the $8 a month and hear the full two-hour interviews as they were designed to be and as you would enjoy them most. Go to TheHigherSideChats.com or just click the link in the show notes to get started and within a minute you'll be plugging in your new Plus Show RSS feed into a hopefully decentralized podcasting 2.0 supported app. Feed the things you want to grow and starve the things that gotta go and we will reach the promised land. Think about that and enjoy the show. Hey all you cool cats and kittens doing the thing from sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, and while our system still sticks to an outdated model of linear progress forever, I can't help but think that everything we do has been done before. Today gene editing and CRISPR technology are all the rage, while others make a pretty good case for this very type of technology creating the human race itself, citing several artifacts still observable in our genetic code. And the ones and zeros of our digital technology, while far less sophisticated than DNA, get more complex all the time and still speak to an internal drive to build and create, even if we can't match the complexity or artistry of our ancient engineers. Our collective unconscious, cultural and spiritual histories are full of catastrophe sagas and stories of widespread natural devastation. But instead of taking that seriously and bracing for these realities, the masses are left in the dark while the billionaire class plans their lofty exit strategy. But maybe it's all part of the game. Perhaps a combination of internal curiosity and the pressures of knowing about catastrophic cycles drives any form of halfway intelligent conscious life to want to spread its own influence out into the cosmos not unlike the drive of all plants and animals to spread their own seed. Are we just in the midst of some weird manifestation of our procreation drive? A drive similar to what caused someone out there to create us? And how different could it all be if we weren't led by the psychopathic puppet masters of the power pyramid and the cold-hearted billionaire class? Well, these are the kind of thoughts that fuel the mind engine of today's returning guest, Bruce Fenton. He's a dedicated scholar of anomalous phenomena, genetic engineering, directed panspermia, and all sorts of interesting stuff in the Pandora's box of life. He and his wife Daniela have been dedicated to this quest for knowledge and have written great books along the way, like The Forgotten Exodus, The indo Africa Theory of Human Evolution, Hybrid Humans, Scientific Evidence for Our 800,000-Year-Old Alien Legacy, and Exogenesis Hybrid Humans. A Scientific History of Extraterrestrial Genetic Manipulation. It's been about a year, and it's a pleasure to have him back, the enthusiastic exogenesis advocate, human origin explorer, and anomaly investigator, Bruce, welcome back to The Higher
1: Side. Thank you so much, Greg, and that was an awesome intro, appreciate it, yeah, covered a lot of my favorite topics there. (laughs) It's a lot to try
0: to squeeze into a couple of minutes, but man, it is great to talk to you again. We had a lot of fun last time, especially in that second hour where you had some pretty epic ranting about bloodlines, the powers that be, keeping the masses ignorant, etc., etc. And it's interesting to see how a lot of the agendas of today are circling around the same themes of your work when you're looking into the ancient past. Space probes, genetic tinkering, nanoparticles, viruses, and all that sort of stuff. But to kick this off, a major theme of your book and our last conversation was the physical and genetic evidence that both dovetail to signal a major event happening around 780,000 years ago, the physical evidence being this anomalous tektite material scattered across Australia, what you consider to be debris of an ancient alien craft, something probably intentionally exploded in the air to speed up. Earth Life Evolution. You said there was an update on this project. Well, it's been a year since we talked. Remind the people about what you think happened there and why this material is so weird and update us on the latest info that suggests you might be right.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I've been pressing on with the research and what I actually decided to do was to write a more academic style paper. Now, I don't like to capitulate to the people that say that you have to have a peer-reviewed paper to have any value in your work, you know, because that's a common a common kind of reply if you say you have anything extraordinary like evidence of aliens or UFO data or anything like that. The common response is, you know, is it in a peer-reviewed paper? So I don't believe that only peer-reviewed papers matter. You know, obviously there's a long time in scientific research where the peer-review didn't even exist. But all the same, I decided that I would pen a, you know, a sort of scientific paper that pulled all the different areas of important supporting evidence together into one place, primarily because I knew that would be helpful to journalists or, you know, interested writers or media people that you know, might want to talk to me about it. So it kind of saves me explaining to them in micro detail, you know, again and again individually what the best evidence is. But that had a quite a beneficial effect for me because to do that, of course, I had to trawl through the scientific literature on the Australite tech-type topic. It allowed me to go through a wealth of papers, which then each really offered me some key insight that perhaps I hadn't seen before when I initially began this project and used a more of a cursory look through the supporting evidence. I mean, this was a much more in-depth, and I now have what I consider to be a 99%, 99%, you know, kind of case closed scientific argument for this being material from a craft. Now, I'll wind it back a little bit. So, for people that aren't familiar, the suggestion I have is that there is direct evidence of alien visitation 780,000 ish years ago. In fact, because of the papers I've looked at, I would now revise that to 788,000 years ago. And I know that sometimes people having to be so precise, but this debris is. Pretty well dated, and that's been an update in the dating mechanism. So we now know it's you know, 788,000 years old, give or take a little. What we have there is material that is in itself anomalous, now quite anomalous in both the chemistry, the way it's formed, and also its distribution. So there's a 160 year long mystery that surrounds australite tectite glasses. And so, you know, anyone can kind of Go away and you know, look in a search engine for the Australite mystery, and they can confirm that what I'm saying is accurate. The first technical paper, kind of written about this material, was actually penned by Charles Darwin, no less, which is, I found somewhat ironic because, of course, I tie this in with the origins of humans. So it's kind of funny to find that the first guy that wrote about Australite tectites is you know, Darwin, the guy that kind of <laughs> gave the modern world the consensus view on human origins, right? So he thought that this tectite glass had been produced in a volcanic event sometime in the distant past. And that kind of kicked off the global conversation around this strange blackish brown kind of translucent glass material that's found distributed all the way from South China down through Southeast Asia, Australasia, and finishes its kind of debris field in Antarctica. Now that's a Enormous area covering over ten thousand kilometers, and going out to the sides as far as Madagascar and out beyond Papua New Guinea into the ocean. So you <laughs> can conceptualise that. But of course, that's an enormous debris field of this mysterious glass. So there's been all kinds of theories, you know, since Darwin wrote that first article, that whether or not it could have been perhaps a mysterious glass process used by aboriginal people that had been you know forgotten about you know some lost civilization or that it was indeed you know a super volcano spread this material and then for quite a while back in the 50s 60s 70s there were a number of nasa sort of astronomers and engineers who believed very strongly that this was extraterrestrial and had come from an event on the moon that there had been an impact of a large asteroid and it had happened to hit an area with volcanic, like extinct or live volcanoes, and that the glass was a kind of volcanic glass that had been, you know, formed in calderas on the moon, and then dislodged by an asteroid impact, sent out, you know, sent out across to Earth, and had then either showered down or had, a chunk had entered into orbit and sort of crumbled and then melted in orbit, and so you'd had this melted debris rain down across this vast stretch of land and that it was in fact lunar material so again you know people can kind of go and check all that there's quite a lot of papers particularly nasa papers on that now that argument went on up until well really it started to crumble after the moon landings and the recovery of lunar rock because what they found was that the chemical makeup of australite tectite glass is inconsistent with lunar rock and so there was this kind of basically a kind of capitulation by the nasa guys where they said well okay you know certainly most of them said okay you know it can't be a lunar glass but the opposing theory of an asteroid impact on earth was problematic and they kind of said well look you know we may well be wrong but you guys have still got a lot of anomalies to explain here that your impact theory doesn't do and kind of passed the ball to them now today if anyone looks for Know, what is the formation theory behind Australite tectite They will find articles saying that it's from a terrestrial impact. That's currently the popular consensus view in the scientific community, but that doesn't mean it's right. The way I describe this: if you imagine you've got these two competing theories, you've got these NASA guys saying that you know it has to come from space, and there's a lot of reasons for that which we can you know touch on in a bit. But they're saying it has to have come in from space, and then you've got on the other side all the geologists and other people who are saying that you know, we think it's terrestrial impact of an asteroid throwing this material up into the atmosphere and it being distributed either side of it has problems and there's a reason why you know you've got these arguments because neither of them has the kind of killer blow to say you know we've got all of the anomalies resolved and we know it's this one so instead they were going at this for years now the defeat of the extraterrestrial hypothesis was almost like because you know finding this chemical makeup of lunar rock is inconsistent it's almost like a boxing match where one guy has a heart attack halfway through the fight and you say well the other one you know they're the winner and it's like well (laughs) they won without knocking them out they've won by just an act of god if you like that there was a bit of bad luck that's happened now are they really the champion now we probably would be dubious about that because you think well that's not really a knockout blow right right so that's the situation it was left with we have this default hypothesis right so they didn't actually explain the phenomena. They didn't resolve the anomalies. They won the argument by default. And it turns out that their hypothesis is full of holes. Um, <laughs> that gives people a bit of a background to the story of Australite tectites and who's been involved in it and why it's still a mystery.
0: Yes. Great stuff, man. So you had told me that this research and these themes also relate to Bracewell probes, alien AI superintelligence and UFOs. Let's get into that a bit. How are these things connected? We did talk about this a bit last time, but in terms of the updates or being more confident or dialing it in a little deeper into that specific date, what can you say?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a good reason why I come to the conclusion that we're dealing with some kind of Artificial intelligence, like a large artificially intelligent craft or probe or structure, how people want to frame that. And the reason for that is because we know that this object has to have broken apart in orbit. And the reason for that is because when we look at what's called the australite tectite buttons, and these literally look kind of like buttons, or the front of a bullet, you know, front of a nose cone, they've got that kind of distinctive shaping for aerodynamics, right? And that's formed by spherical glass pieces coming in at shallow angles basically decaying orbital paths and coming in bouncing along the top of the atmosphere and then you know gradually entering and heating slowly melting up the front the material runs to the back and you get these distinctive button shapes and again people can find images on wikipedia and stuff of like these and see what i mean and they know you know the nasa guys you kind of studied worked out quite quickly that these had to be formed by those aerodynamic forces right So some strange object is in orbit, it's broken up. Now, the additional part of that is that the material is around 75% silica. And silica is not found in that kind of levels in in natural objects in space, like comets, asteroids. The the highest that's found is about 60% ever been found in an asteroid. And they think this is from melted quartz. And quartz doesn't form on asteroids or comets at all. It forms on planetary surfaces. So this is quite extraordinary. So it means that the parent body is essentially this vast object, you know, capable of producing a debris field that stretches from China to Antarctica. So this vast object, and that it's made primarily of silica, around seventy-five percent of it, and then ten percent aluminium, you know, other metals. A whole list of other materials but the primarily is silica and why is that important it's because we know that if you look at the cutting edge thinking on what extraterrestrial intelligences would be like or their probes craft etc it's theorized that what we will probably encounter is kind of super artificial intelligence it's like large structures that are made of silica they're basically mobile silica networks in which would house an artificial intelligence. And there's a really good paper by a lady named Susan Schneider. and She's kind of a cutting-edge thinker on just alien superintelligences. Particularly, there's an article called Alien Minds that I would recommend to people. And she goes into it and says, you know, because silica, you can actually have faster processing speeds than the brain, because it would be faster, particularly if you have a large silica object. And these could be planet-sized. And she kind of deals with that. says, you know, we could be dealing with planetary-sized you know living crafts if you like that travel around the universe these would be almost godlike in their intelligence it'd be incomprehensible if you imagine our little brain packed into a skull that's our limitation but if you can have a essentially a silica brain the size of a moon or something it's going to be godlike in its processing abilities and its thinking so now we're talking about an object that's made of precisely the kind of materials we expect of one of these large artificial intelligences that has somehow ended up in orbit around our planet again which is an indication of something extraordinary because earth does not normally capture large objects it captures very small bus sized chunks of rock it's quite unlike jupiter and saturn which you know can capture comets and stuff but earth doesn't do that you know certainly there's no record of a large object being caught so this would be in itself extraordinary if we were to capture a very large, say, multi-kilometer diameter object. But now, on top of that, this object itself is anomalous in its composition with primarily silica beyond natural levels and possibly being made of quartz, which again doesn't form on asteroids at all. So we have something that is absolutely hand in glove meshing with the expectations of what's known as these kind of Bracewell probes and alien super intelligences that have been theorised on the cutting edge of space science for a number of years now. And in fact, in the, I think the last year or so, it's coming out in the news more and more that they really don't expect us to encounter biological aliens at all. That, you know, all of the kind of the academics that are involved in this are expecting us to have an encounter with something like a Bracewell probe, which is, you know, a living probe, an AI housing probe that could arrive here, monitor the planet, say, could arrive millions of years ago and sit either on the planetary surface or in orbit or a nearby asteroid and just monitor any world that looks like it may potentially produce life or already has life and can sit there and observe and record, transmit that information back to its home planet. And even more interestingly, that if the civilization forms on a world, the Bracewell probe could potentially be in- given instructions to make contact with that civilization you know it may be something like radio waves are produced and that that flips a switch in the probe to it to make an open contact and they even say that one of the things that it might be able to do is replay to us an entire history of our world and wow. well, that's kind of interesting when we you know as you know from my work that's precisely what I suggest has happened so it's hand in glove to what we're told by the academics this is the extraordinary part of it
0: Yes, absolutely. So, this tektite material, the composition defies anything we know on Earth. It clearly rained down from the sky based on where it's found, and it matches a level jump in human evolution right at that time depth. So, it seems that it was intentional. I mean, that's the hypothesis. Now, what you just said about it activating when maybe radio waves go out or some type of intelligent technology coming from the Earth is detected. We do have artifacts as we talked about last time that there's stories around them opening up and people touching them, and then they're just like hit with a download of the human history. But we also have, just to talk about it from a different angle, corporations who have said things that sound like they're really walking the line between saying that they got this information from somewhere else for their technology. You know, they're making millions of dollars off cutting-edge stuff in the fields of medicine or Mm -hmm. any kind of technological realm. And then, especially in technology, they're using terms like altar, alien god, summoning for things like D-wave technology. And it really makes you think, maybe some privileged few did make contact with something or got insights from somewhere else And that's the basis for their technology, which they're making massive profits on. And it's just hidden away down in that corporate basement. And they're never going to really let the golden goose out, so to speak.
1: Oh, absolutely. And if anyone's familiar with the book American Cosmic by Diana Plasulka, I know that she talks about her conversations with one of these, you know, very powerful figures, a guy that she refers to as Tyler, but it's his pseudonym. But, you know, he has told her that, they are in contact with an intelligence. That there's even a room. I think one of the NASA facilities or something. Where he said, you know, if you're near it, you can feel the presence of this intelligence. Yeah. And that he was given information of how to design various medical aids that he sold, and that have made him millions and millions of dollars. So exactly as you know, as you're saying there, <laughs> that this is probably happening. I imagine far more often than anyone else would think. You know, certainly most people think it never happens. But you know, even for those of us that suspect such things, it probably has become something of a standard that a lot of these technologies that are being floated by, you know, the Silicon Valley kind of tech viewers that, yeah, it may well be that some number of them are being at least influenced by an intelligence that's not of, you know, human origins, at least.
0: Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of talk about a muamua when it came through. Do you think that was something similar to a Bracewell probe? Is there any reason to suggest it was more than just a rock floating by? What do you think?
1: Yeah, I found the Umu, Umu story quite interesting. In fact, just recently we've seen, you know, Professor Avi Loeb, the guy that's really kind of been talking about it, you know, radio shows everywhere and has written about it and been on TV talking about it. That he has kind of said that it may even be that it was cruising by to pick up information from some, you know, other probes or, you know, something that's here on our planet already or, you know, is in communication with something here maybe relating to the UFO phenomena or something like that. And yes, I mean, there are reasons to think it could be something technological. It's, you know, he considered to be a very pancake-shaped object, that it was sort of spinning end over end. It passes between, you know, if if you can sort of the plane of our solar system, it kind of passes through that plane, you know, which is where the planets kind of line up. But it also happens to be at a point which is in between the orbits of Mars and Earth. Now, if you were targeting our solar system from somewhere else and you wanted to take some kind of sensory data of the habitable zone, I mean, Mars and Earth directly in that habitable zone, right? And we know if the Earth's habitable and we suspect that Mars may have life and certainly probably did have life because it was an Earth-like planet. So again, that is suspicious in itself that out of this vast space of our solar system, this thing happens to pass, you know, through the, the <laughs> orbits of the two most likely, you know, inhabited planets. Also, it had a signature that suggested it was somewhat metallic. It was very reflective in terms of the light spectrum, and again, that spinning end over end. You know, I had some suspicions that perhaps it may even been releasing something along the lines of small genetic seeds. You know, so this is kind of sounds a bit strange, but a few years ago there was a team that recovered a small metal sphere from the upper atmosphere that was leaking a genetic goo when it hit their detector and they thought this could actually be seeds from you know an alien world yeah yeah this is is incredible they suspected that could be a panspermia seed you know an artificial seed sent from another solar system and people again people can look that up look for you know metal sphere leaking goo (laughs) detected and they'll find that there's some really good images of it you know closer yeah this stuff's extraordinary and that team they suspect it may be to do with panspermia they're associated with professor wickram singer who's really the don on panspermia and it wasn't him that found it but he's an associate of that team and he believes that we probably have had multiple panspermia events that you know that Particularly, viruses, retroviruses, raining down on us, but also potentially deliberate seeding. And it's, it's even suggested that octopus may be an alien organism that you know, they may have been somehow brought here, you know, frozen or something. Right. So right. there's a really strange stuff. I think it doesn't necessarily always filter through to the global society, but some of these scientists are really sort of saying, well, look, there is more and more indications that we are in a greater ecosystem that stretches beyond our solar system with life moving between it in the forms of some of its simple life you know retroviruses and bacteria but also perhaps more complex life and some deliberate technological seeding you know so it's extraordinary but the evidence is there and that sphere is remarkable and the fact that you know it's leaking this what looks like organic goo they describe it as
0: (laughs) i love it provocative stuff and I do often wonder about us taking things for granted that are actually clues to something bigger. The Amazon is a big one. Apparently it was engineered and shepherded in the ancient world. And that just blows my mind because it's not just a big patch of dense forest. It's different than anything on the planet. The diversity of the plants and birds and animals, it is just insane. It's like Avatar land. And maybe something like your exploding crystalline ship hypothesis
1: happened in the Amazon too. Well, I think we can't limit these kinds of ideas because look, if we have one incident of a non-human intelligence interacting with this planet, then it opens up the door for a lot of other possibilities and support for a lot of existing mythology you know and cultural stories around the world about contact events, teachers that teach us about. Farming, you know, for example, and obviously I think the Amazon is an example of a type of farming. And we're finding that throughout jungles of the world, in many of them, that a lot of the plants have been deliberately, you know, seeded. And, you know, those areas are actually farmed in some way and are not just wild jungle. And we see that in more conventional farming, of course, in the Near East and stuff that emerges about 12,000 years ago. But it may well be that, you know, this idea has been taught farming stretches back to those origins of seeding areas of jungle that you know we can't really put limits anymore particularly if we say there is evidence of interaction 788,000 years ago well that really changes the entire story arc of homo sapiens right because we then cannot assume that there's any point from then until now where other intelligences are not either involved or at least monitoring us. So, you know, I think it was Charles Ford who kind of famously said that Earth is a farm. You know, I think it does appear like that, that, you know, if we were seeded by perhaps one of these DNA seeds, you know, these metal seeds coming down and starting life on this planet, then it would potentially mean that this planet has always been monitored, interacted with from the moment it was a a magma kind of rocky formation up until now. And that meshes with a lot of the strangeness in you know, the records both fossil records and historical records or history you know mythology that you start to see actually that fits quite well with things like the Cambrian so the Cambrian explosion where we have this mysterious increase in life across the planet which is showing the fossil record Wickham Singer points out that that would mesh quite well with new information coming into the system you know obviously this goes going back you know hundreds of millions of years ago, the new information coming in, probably from something like a an alien retrovirus raining down and infecting life, okay? And that that would have been crucial to all of these new organisms appearing. So then you get to think, well, is that an accidental event or is somebody farming this plant, you know, saying, okay, now we're going to modify these life forms. We engineer a retrovirus, put it into the upper atmosphere, it rains down, infects the existing organisms, gives them new information. So then new life forms emerge very quickly in the fossil record, not through slow random mutations, you know, just very suddenly. And that kind of thing happens, you know, at other points. We also see some quite strange changes in well, particularly in the hominin line. So I, I think that there's definitely evidence that, you know, there's interactions that not only really change life, but yeah, that could be informing us in things like farming and other things that we're doing, you know, cultural changes, behavioural changes, those could be nudged along by intelligences. So, yeah, I tend to think that those mythologies about, you know, teachers may well be supported by the evidence.
0: (laughs) Yes, man. And not to take this to too weird of a place, but I have a lot of guests who talk about secret interactions and relationships with entities, covert wars in heaven between positive and negative forces. And the question always comes up, well, if there are good intelligence is out there why don't they help us and honestly maybe they do maybe this disc of goo is a technology they put up there to facilitate a consciousness upgrade and and you know you gotta ask it because it's it's curious timing with everything that's going on with the pandemic and the shot and it seems to the spike protein, it's very much about like altering human genetics, it seems with the shedding and all that stuff. And maybe the powers that be found this disk of goo, studied it, or like we got to stop this. We can't have all these people evolving. We're going to lose our grip of power. So they quickly get this shot out to everybody. Uh, I, you know, I'm inclined to that kind of dot connecting, but mm-hmm. it is curious timing I didn't even know about them finding this thing, but, you know, the pandemic definitely seemed like something they had in the cards. But when it was time to come out, it came out and it seemed a little rushed.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And there's some reason to suspect that there may be more to this, you know, SARS-CoV-2's origins that's a bit more cosmic. I mean, again, referring to Professor Wickram Singer, who, you know, was a very well-published you know, academic, you know, the, as I say, the father of panspermia, really. Back in, I think it was late 2019, he said that he thought that we might see a pandemic break out because there'd been I think it was a some meteorite surge uh, come down over in East Asia, and uh, he felt that he might be bringing in some of these microbes, and that then you know, within a few months, we told told,, yeah, there's this pandemic." And he had pointed out some of the strange aspects, like it breaking out in areas where it didn't seem like it could have spread to yet. But he said, if it's raining down, then like it could appear anywhere and if it's in our upper atmosphere, raining down. So he actually has argued that the SARS-CoV-2 virus may be from up there, right? And that's kind of interesting because if you then take that to another level and say, well, okay, there's been a lot of talk about, is it a modified virus? You know, was it modified in a lab or something? But let's say that instead of it being modified in a lab in China, which I think actually probably isn't true, the fact that the media is trying to suggest that's the case, (laughs) and we've seen how they've lied and backflipped, that it really makes me think that it was not from either the wet market or from the lab in China. I suspect that there's a a third story. that's the one that they're not talking about, is more likely. Now, one of those would be the potential that this is actually modified by the extraterrestrials. (laughs) If they have, again, gone for another one of these upgrades where they use a retrovirus, so they take a coronavirus, maybe from a bat or whatever, and that they make a few subtle changes to it that we wouldn't understand what they were for. We'd have no idea, right? But they make some subtle changes to it, and then they release it back into the population by raining it down on us. Now, one of the things that's interesting about the cycle two again is that they've said that some elements seem to be persisting and remaining in our genome. And again, that's what's changed us. You know, in the past, we know that we've got a lot of ancient retrovirus DNA in us. A lot of it, right? So that has played a big role in creating, you know, humans. That's a fact. We know it's called um horizontal gene transfer. We have you know genes from from insects and fungi and stuff. But we have quite a lot of material in there from retroviruses. Now let's say that this virus is doing something to us, something that we may not even know about for a lifetime or a thousand years. Because if you're playing a game that is millions of years long and you see it from big picture, then it may not even be that we would see the changes in humans from those infections in our lifetimes right it could be something that changes our path of evolution is in there now one of the things that's particularly interesting about it, if you look at the way that this virus is when you get a new flu virus those typically kill a lot of young people right when you get a new strain of influenza kills a lot of young people this new strain of coronavirus has basically killed almost no young people yeah right in fact it's really arguable whether any have died, except for some. There were some extraordinarily sick children have died, where you'd say, did they die of it, or did they die of their existing, you know, these severe conditions? Now, other than that, it's been really old people. Now, if you were modifying a species, like who do you really care about staying alive and surviving any negative effects of it? Well, the young people, because you're getting at them. They're the next generation that's going to breed, right, and have offspring. You're not particularly caring about. No, I'm not saying it's a mean way, but if you're doing it as an experiment, you're not going to be focused too much on what happens to 80-year-olds and 90-year-olds because they're not really relevant to diverting the course of a species' evolution. And so I found that quite funny, the way that this seems to be that there is literally no impact on the health of young people. So whatever it's doing when it infects them, you know, it doesn't have any obvious negative effects on them generally. So <laughs> this would fit with the profile of a modification to the direction of of homo sapiens.
0: Yeah, yeah. And obviously we're just speculating, but we know enough to know there's a game behind the game. So you have to wonder about these things. Maybe this thing comes into existence, comes into our, our purview, and the elite step in to say, break it up, stay inside, separate yourself, be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, what do the elite want? They don't want anything that could possibly upgrade us in any way, even though that is constantly part of the conversation in the alternative space with the benevolent ETs that they're getting us ready for a consciousness upgrade. Ask the shamans Mm -hmm. in the Amazon what time period this is. And they'll talk about the time period of an upgrade coming with the great family in the sky and all kinds of stuff. And Mm -hmm. the elite say, Hey, you know, avoid that but get this shot that we developed. And it's like, well, know them by their fruits. I mean, maybe I don't trust, (laughs) I don't want to get some virus. I don't know, but I definitely know I don't want to get a shot developed by companies with the track records that these companies have.
1: Absolutely not. I mean, (laughs) absolutely not. And you can sort of see they also, these what I call the predatory parasitical world controllers. I mean, they also are about upgrades, as we know. But their version of an upgraded course is is trying to get in a genetically modified human features. They believe they can give higher intelligence and superpowers using the kind of technologies that are developed at the moment. And also with embedded technologies, you know, so they're obviously the transhumanism that they believe that they can create this new human, which they talk about in the World Economic Forum's introduction video. They're very open about this. They said that, you know, you won't know where the technology ends and biology begins with this fourth industrial revolution where they modernize humans to what they feel that we should be this kind of strange you know genetically modified cybernetically enhanced and probably drug addled you know lots of injections of various compounds that would make this new human so you can almost see that there's there's these different narratives here of their version of the upgrade. There's probably an alien version of the upgrade, which might well be, you know, in changing us to the DNA level with retroviruses. But then also just this rising of consciousness, which I might even see as a kind of a middle way that there's an internal evolution that has to occur, which is doesn't require anything added really. It just requires us to kind of go within, to recognize, you know, what we are, who we are, our potential, and also to refocus the world and realise the theater the stage that's ahead of us and the theater that's been going on and start to understand where we actually are as a species and then change course ourselves which doesn't again doesn't require any new technology or any dna upgrade we should be able to do that simply by coming back into an awakening you know where we (laughs) awake to what's very obvious in front of us right where you have to be asleep in some sense, to not see the world that we are living in, with the well, again the predatory, parasitic world controllers directing us into total madness, with all these wars and forced poverty and climate change shenanigans, that so we know that it only takes you to really raise a little bit in consciousness to see that this is a show, you know, a complete show being put on to befuddle our brains.
0: Right, right. It's an interesting train of thought, and I'll definitely take the unknown over the capstone cabal's quote unquote help any day, especially when they have these lotteries and free hamburgers and beer to come get your <laughs> shot. It seems like they really care about health with the free hamburger and free beer, you know. Mm-hmm. Glad McDonald's is yep. on board with getting uh human health back on track. And, you know, when we were talking before we started recording, you mentioned that Some of these COVID events are reflected in Hopi prophecy, and that's
1: a pretty intriguing thread. What's the deal there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I found this quite astonishing. I mean, for many years, you know, particularly in the, I guess, the ancient mysteries kind of world, the fringes of, you know, alternative research, you know, there's been debates over, you know, are we approaching this moment of. The fulfillment of the Hopi prophecies now amongst their many prophecies there is this idea that there would come a time when a what was it a palace or a structure would a house in the heavens would fall which has often been interpreted as different space stations that have fallen I mean somewhat recently we had the Chinese one the heavenly palace which fell and then there was another part of it which is that the Hopi would stop their ceremonies, their dance and stuff. And like that never happened. I mean, lots of times people said there's a blue star and all the other was a blue star in the sky and people have said, this object seemed like a blue star, you know, this thing may have been it and then this space station. But the one thing that never really happened was the Hopi stopping at ceremonies. But my understanding is because of the pandemic, (laughs) everyone's had to stop everything, right? So they couldn't, they wouldn't, be able to meet to do the ceremonies and the dance so that was a key part of the fulfillment of the Hofi prophecies with the, <laughs> stopping the ceremonies right wow. so that was quite extraordinary and then we're told that there's this split which begins to occur and that there'll be the two-hearted people and the one-hearted people and they start to diverge away from each other and essentially the one-hearted people those who start to feel drawn to go back to nature the land and farming and i'm sure that you've heard lots of people saying that during the pandemic or the lockdown so that they felt you know they, to go out and they want to be back in nature people are talking about buying land and going to farms and they're farming their gardens and yeah, you yeah. Know, and on the other side of it there'll be the two-hearted people who will follow the forked tongue you know world controllers and will follow them down this other path which i would say is the technocracy you know, this increasing technology and moving away from nature essentially commodifying nature attacking it and that they are going to follow those forked tongue people down a separate path and that path ends with a, what I suggest is some kind of horrific events, and it fades away. And that's the end of the two-hearted people and their path. And that, so basically there's only a continuation of the one-hearted people. And there's a whole string of other descriptions of what will happen, that you'll have people basically going mad, so that people will be going mad, and you will see things that you know have not been seen in an age. There'll be the return of beings that have come... In the past different you know, aliens spirit beings and they'll be walking among us children that are born that are ancients that have come back but particularly this thing of seeing people go mad you know if you look at what's happening at the moment i haven't got a better description than that people have become deranged i mean you know i'm seeing widespread deranging of people you know and obvious madness i mean what we have here a mental health crisis i mean even without any kind of conspiracy theory or or judgments on people you know it's recognized we now have an absolute mental health crisis which is you know our systems are overwhelmed because so many people have been kind of driven mad by the news and stuff in the last year and you know that they don't know how they're going to recover these people so all of these predictions these descriptions are extraordinarily accurate to what the Hopi have told us would happen and that then following that there will eventually be a kind of um, an arrival of well, especially two brothers that come from afar, which I think are comets. And we had a couple of interesting comets in the last year as well, particularly just a few months ago, there was a pair of comets, you know, that were visual in the skies, you know, at different points, but quite close together. And then we're told that there will be another messenger that comes from afar. And I believe that's kind of supposed to be the last herald of this change. And that then in one day, there'll be the red dawn. And when the red dawn comes, everything's basically kind of reset kind of like a great cleansing the red dawn and that that is in that timeline of events so we seem to be in this strange timeline of events and you know, they said symbols will be shown in the land i.e like crop circles but you'll see that in the grain it says in grains there'll be wow. communications in the grain there's all sorts of strange stuff so i mean it's quite amazing I and mean, it says yeah and also in all life forms and it suggested the way it reads is in dna that there'll be some kind of message or changes in dna so yeah it's absolutely mind-bending so i suggest anyone who is interested in that to look up those you know look up the holy prophecies and the red dawn and you know, the other aspects of it i'm convinced we're in it i see this split this absolute split i feel that when i deal with people now some of them are in a separate reality to me you know i yeah. we might be walking in the same road but we are living in two different worlds
0: i totally agree and on the subject of artificial alien engineering or artifacts and technology of some higher being that we maybe see but just don't recognize as separate from our natural system, probably because we're used to it. What about the moon? There's people who have said the moon has some qualities that defy everything we know about satellites, and it's a compelling prospect that it is a remnant of some previous age or some kind of monitoring station and that kind of thing what are your thoughts about the moon and the prospect that maybe it isn't just some natural rock that was captured by our orbit
1: yeah the moon is extraordinary i mean there's been a number of books over the years about this you know one of one of the claims is that basically the most sort of parsimonious explanation for the moon is its observational error because it shouldn't really be that it's too big it just happens that it passes the sun in such a way we get these perfect eclipses we happen to live in this moment when it you know it just perfectly fits to block out the sun which is extraordinary and that then you know it turns out it's kind of hollow when it was hit by you know probe it reverberated so there's obviously a hollow aspect to it there's some anomalies on the side of the moon there's a recently wrote a paper saying that it looks kind of like an entrance way to a tunnel i mean there's this is a kind of from a, a serious scientific kind of study they said that they would scanning using ai and there's some anomalies there that almost like a tunnel entrance i mean obviously there's been other anomalies over the years but i found that was quite interesting but there's definitely it seems that there's a range of anomalies about the moon and in fact again yeah just the astonishing size of it in comparison to the earth how it ended up there because there's been obviously the whack theory the double whack theory you know none of these really end up explaining what we find or the composition of the moon that yes there's Concordance in some aspects between the Earth and the Moon in terms of chemistry, but in others there isn't, and that's this is why we have this seemingly never-ending series of hypotheses for how the Moon formed, because none of them have really explained it as yet. I personally do think that we may be looking at evidence throughout our solar system of a something like a Type Three or Type Four civilization, which may have cobbled together the whole arrangement of planets and moons, and in that seems were just like you know, ridiculous, but we do sort of understand that, you know, there's a level of technology that we can theoretically reach. You know, they say the F scale with type three, type four civilizations where you could potentially move your planet around, or maybe even move your sun. There might be levels beyond that where you might be able to create suns, right? Because, you know, we can't really limit what can be done, say with a billion year long civilization development, right? This technologies would be magical. So could a, civilization decide to roll out an experiment where they literally build their own solar system right out of say a dust cloud and they build their own solar system using technologies that we can not even comprehend yet and ignite a sun you know put the planets where they want them stick a giant moon next to one you know it seems to people so mind-bending because obviously we're nowhere near that but we have to be careful of not limiting advanced extraterrestrial intelligence is simply because we can't do something ourselves i mean that's what we've done with the idea of space travel you know that well how would they get here in their rocket ships you know well they wouldn't would they you know they wouldn't come in a rocket ship you know if you're dealing with a civilization that is even a million years ahead of us then we can't really compare the time scales for us to travel the galaxy with those species because we don't know what kind of technology we have That yes they might have Wormhole travel, and they might have technologies that allow whole planets to rove across the solar system. You know, that's where we have to be, I think, very mindful is not to use the anthropocentric view on aliens, which I find is all too common. You know, and also not only in the public, but in academia, where they say, Well, you know, how would they get here and all this? It's like, Well, we don't necessarily know, but we shouldn't then say they couldn't have.
0: Right, right. And more and more people are taking a deeper look at the alien motif and connecting it to old fairy lore or looking at the prospect of angels because angels as depicted in the original text are way different than just guys with wings and halos. And it all kind of speaks to possibly the same kind of being but definitely something interacting with humanity over time. I kind of like the idea that angels are basically the same as aliens, and uh, the Vatican probably knows a lot more about that. Why does the Vatican have such an advanced observatory? Why are they so preoccupied with things coming in from the cosmos? They definitely seem to have their finger on that pulse. And I also have heard some stories of people saying that there's indigenous cultures that have oral traditions that talk about a time before the moon. And you mentioned Hopi prophecy. I understand a part of it is they say at one point in their history they were taken underground by the ant people. Maybe that kind of ties into this interaction with some kind of other type of being. But what are your thoughts on that? Just the idea that in periods of cataclysm, maybe this interaction is a little bit more face-to-face, and all we have now are these stories about it, and maybe that time is coming around again.
1: Yeah, I mean, I do suspect that that's the case, that we have had periods where the interaction was very, very direct. But also I would say that some of the Native American you know, tribes say that they've had quite direct contact that's been ongoing into what I understand, you know, modern times. So although it seems to be there's a bit of a cultural or regional difference in the levels of contact that, you know, in Europe perhaps and in North America that for whatever reason... That direct contact has kind of faded away earlier or faster, more intensely than it has in other areas, like in the Amazon or in, in North America with the indigenous people that they have maintained relationships to the point where they would talk about sky family and stuff, you know, star family, right? So that is, suggests a very close relationship. And they said, you know, beings that turn up at their ceremonies, you know, that they they perform a ritual ceremony and that those would some be attended by star people, so. I think we have to be kind of careful to assume that everybody's having the same experience I think that that's probably not the case and I think that that direct contact has been more universal and more global during certain periods and then in other times it is more regional or limited to certain cultures but yeah I think whenever there's been these if you look at their stories of well Native American stories Egyptian stories and various cultures that tell us about cataclysms and that you know often during these it seems to be beings that help us or to kind of reset society they perform the act of being the teachers you know that kind of replant civilization there's the, the maya prophecies relating to 2012 so when i used to study that because i had a website 2012 rising for many years and was you know very involved with the maya calendar topic in 2012 so when i asked I wrote about that you know i touched on this that if you look at it, they talked about these beings that kind of came and gave good presence and stuff and Helped you know after this seeming cataclysm that they at that point seem to really have a direct interaction with people and are helping after this cataclysm now there's similar stories with the Egyptians that, after one of these major events that there's these beings who in some stories it seems like they come from maybe an Atlantis type advanced place, or maybe they are extraterrestrial, but there are some kind of advanced beings that come and help refound civilization again, so it does appear that there's cycles. Where this occurs and if you look at what's happening now of course you know there's very strange stuff happening We've got the whole ufo thing blowing up but ufos also are interpreted by some cultures indigenous cultures as being harbingers of massive change probably cataclysmic change So when you start to have this build-up of anomalies flying around or appearing to people because some may not be flying around they may be visionary you know this combination of objects and visionary craft So when this occurs, again, this is seen in some shamanic terms as a sign of, yep, you know, the Earth's about to reboot again. So, I mean, that in itself again should make people take pause for thought. You know, we have UFOs all over the news. We have this great reset being talked about. We have obviously this, you know, sort of pseudo pandemic. We have obviously wars, rumours of war, this push for a kind of nuclear conflict between China, (laughs) Russia, and the US. And, you know, there's a lot right now that suggests that, you know, we are just on the edges of a potential cataclysm. And then there's others that we can't really foresee, you know, things like pole shift. We know that the magnetic field has been weakening and we've got these holes opened up in it. You know, is that to do with some kind of, you know, magnetic flip? Solar activity has been super weird. You know, I was talking to an astrophysicist the other day and he thinks that, you know, we are now plunging into a little ice age, like a more than a minimum of solar activity. Again, that would mesh with the idea of the death and rebirth of the sun, which is key in a lot of the Mesoamerican prophecies that we are entering a new age or a new sun and that we will see the death of one and the rebirth of another in fact some of the prophetic kind of wisdom school information suggests that the sixth sun should really begin on the 21st of december 2021 right so we're not very far from that so if it indeed is that the sun is going through some sort of rebirth we may see a mega storm and that's been speculated in some you know studies of the past in terms of mythology and events so i think there's a few that we could be facing you know obviously polar shifts where we have actual axial flips those appear in ancient texts and in the bible we have the story you know a third of the stars fell from the sky which is something you'd only see in an axial shift you don't that just can't happen otherwise so we know that there seems to be records Pointing to these events happening before. So I I think there's a whole series of them. If you look at the Mayans, they say about this the world has been destroyed by fire, by water, by air, you know, it's different events that have done it. And so we won't necessarily know what's going to hit us before it does. And that fits well with that other biblical line about that, you know, when all this stuff happens, it comes like a thief in the night. Ah. We won't really know until it's totally honest what it is that's going to happen.
0: Yeah. Troubled times indeed, but (laughs) man, this has been really great to talk to you again. You're a knowledgeable guy with a really unique take on alien intervention, but you make a really compelling case for it. And we're on the same page with how bad this current agenda is. And to me, that's important because I've tried to cover other topic areas than just the pandemic, but a few guests... You know, their book is about something completely unrelated, but they got to pepper in there. Wear your mask, get your vaccine tangents. And it's a mm. little awkward because, you know, you got to know your audience. <laughs> but you are a great fit around here. And thank you for your time. Let them know where to follow up with you, get your books and some of your future projects, if you have anything in the works.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, if people want to follow me, as you know, I'm sort of an agitator on Twitter, which is yes. um, they can follow me at Exogenesis HH. Yeah, they don't have to follow me if they don't like what I'm saying. That's the way I look at it. And then there is my website is brucerfenton.com. I need to put some more content on there. It's a bit short. Books are on Amazon, of course. Don't like Amazon. So you can contact me instead, you know, so I can sell direct, you know, signed copies of sort of eBay. Yeah. You know, either Forgotten Exodus or or Exogenesis. I sell them on eBay as well. But They will find those on Amazon if that's what they need to use. And I think in terms of projects, yeah, I'm just tidying up the paper on the tech type techno signature, and I will upload that so that it's publicly viewable at some point, And we'll probably also convert it into a short Kindle book, a bit more public friendly because it is a bit like technical and academic at the moment, to be honest. So it may need to be put out as both as a scientific paper and as a short, slightly tweaked ebook to make it more fun to read, to be honest with it. That should be good. That's the main one. I mean, really, and I will say that it's, I know that we've gone to a bit of it, but yeah, there's a lot of technical details in that paper that will, I think, make anyone that reads it understand that this material just cannot come from an asteroid impact. There's a lot about you know, how it's thrown out into space and all this stuff that couldn't happen. Yeah, there's just a lot there. So it will fill in a lot of blanks. If so people say, you know, that they they're not quite convinced by what I've shared with you, that paper should hopefully finish the argument. Awesome. Well, again, I really appreciate
0: what you do. You can hang with the academics and get down in the trenches with a person like me. So it's been really fun talking to you. Thanks again and take care. Thanks very
1: much, Greg. Take care.
0: Hallelujah, people. Fun stuff. Good audio. Great guest. What more could we want? I'm really proud of this one or proud of picking Bruce to come back, which is really all I do. Curate who you guys are going to hear from and let them talk about their work. They need me like an orchestra needs a guy waving a stick at them. But hey, glad to get Bruce back because I do think he has a pretty unique take on things. He's open to a wide range of possibilities because if genetic tinkering and planet seeding and cosmic library holding artifacts have ever happened, or more specifically, happened at a time depth like 788,000 years ago, then it could have happened at any point since then and could still be happening in real time. I've also been intrigued by this idea of pieces of genetic code or viruses coming from space intentionally or unintentionally, that an update or change to humanity's genetic code would come in that sort of fashion just kind of makes sense to me. A lot of evolution talk is always just kept within the bubble of the earth, and I think it needs to be scaled up. Evolution to me is more a description of measurable progress through a species or through life than it is the ultimate final answer to everything, you know, as it's often presented. I guess I just like that Bruce recontextualizes viruses in a much wider context than just thinking, these things get you sick. Because we already know that that's just a small sliver of the role of viruses in the big picture. Did COVID come from space? I don't know. I think we were just having a little bit of fun with it, but it's certainly a more unique idea than a lot of angles out there, and it is in the realm of possibility. I didn't expect the conversation to be so COVID-heavy today, actually. But it is a fun idea. If some viruses can come from space, then we should think about that with any of them. We don't really know the deepest, darkest why over the whole COVID thing. Is it just a money grab and a control mechanism? An attack on the wage class and small business? Is it just to onboard us to the biometric digital grid, the Internet of People? Or is it possible that it's an attempt to stop some consciousness upgrade? Everyone talks about a consciousness upgrade coming. That we're on the verge of an awakening. I mean, they've been saying that since before 2012. Indigo kids and all that. Maybe it's just hopeful thinking, but I like to think that the shamans know what they're talking about, even if their time horizons can be a bit vague. And if something genetic was going to happen to humanity that might disrupt their comfortable positions of power, what would they do? I bet it would look a lot like what we're seeing. But audio-wise, guys, I cracked the code, I think. If you listen to this back-to-back with the last episode with Bruce done over Skype, I think it is a clear level jump. If I imagine a Rogan-like setup as I'm listening, it does actually sound like we're in the same room. I also have a new microphone that people can probably tell some subtle differences with. Basically, I feel real good about making a couple of changes, staying ahead of the latest tech for doing this kind of thing, and changes we got in the works for radically improving the plus experience. Maybe I'll elaborate on that in the joint session this month. Maybe it's also still just a little too soon for that. But on that subject, leave me a voicemail at thehighersidechatscom voicemail. I am a little light on messages this month. But I just feel like we're in a really good place. I'm scrambling to make sure all the pieces are in place when this baby comes. I'm working to better streamline everything that goes into putting out an episode. I'm very happy with the next few shows and the lineup on the calendar. I probably could use a bit less COVID-related stuff, honestly. I think people really did seem to dig the mystery big cats, so if you have any other cryptid or paranormal-ish episode suggestions, give them to me in the forum. If you don't have access to the forum, all it takes is for you to be a Plus member for a single month, and you're in forever. Not even really the main reason to have a Plus membership, but it is in the mix. And this new economy, it's all about reciprocation, people, and avoiding all that corporate trash. So consider signing up. We have one of the largest archives in the game, and I would really appreciate a little bump with this baby on the way. I'd be a little less stressed out. Maybe some people care about that. Others just tend to tell me to shut up and podcast. Dance, monkey, dance. I understand. You want to be entertained and left alone. But I'm trying to tell you, you can double your pleasure and double your fun for the low, low cost of $8 a month. And I try to put money back into the show when I can. New equipment, new recording software that's a cut above. And I really try to give my all in doing my job as a host and giving you the best show I can. And getting the best out of our guests that I can. So an occasional financial attaboy would be really great. But do it for you. Don't do it for me. In today's conversation with Bruce, that extra hour is action-packed. We talked about DNA frequency bioweapons and hive mind control corralling us into the matrix, credit karma, higher credit ratings for paying your Netflix bill. People will say, yeah, well, that's how credit raises. You pay your bills on time. But the point is that you can't get higher credit from paying for THC on time. Just things like Netflix and Hulu because those are Big-ass, Bilderberg-friendly companies. That's why. They incentivize you to take on certain streaming services where the global elite have made the largest investment, and they'll bump you a point or two for that. Funny how that is. But we also talked about clues to manipulation that are in our genetic code and the genomic SETI idea. Other proposed periods of ET involvement that we didn't cover last time. The Dragon Man and what Bruce has seen from Chris Bledsoe's healing abilities. That was very interesting. Again, I take the currency that is your attention very seriously. THC is not a show that is just trying to fill airtime until the next ad read. We live or die by the listeners, not the sponsors. I think it's the purest form of podcasting, and I hope you agree. Sign up at TheHigherSideChats.com. Anyone who's been a parent probably knows the mental panic flowing just below the surface of my calm demeanor. And anyone who hasn't been a parent doesn't give a shit, just like I didn't a year ago. (laughs) But what more can I say? You will or you won't, right? I don't think I'm going to say the magic words I haven't said before just because I keep talking about it. But I really do appreciate you guys. I appreciate how high level and engaged people are when reaching out to our guests. Getting that feedback always makes me feel proud of what we have. Bruce's book, Exogenesis Hybrid Humans, is definitely full of fun stuff. Well worth a read. It belongs on any high strangeness bookshelf. I will say that. Big thanks to him for taking the time. What a ride. A plus, I would say. But I guess I should get to Mosian. peace, love and higher side. Good people of the Internet. I've done my part. Your move, hybrid human makers, predator class takers, and consciousness wakers, your fucking move. From
2: space it was falling, its light started calling, it's making crop circles again. Just as I was looking up, it showed me all the hidden stuff, and now I'm all enlightened and zen. Waking up the masses is hard. Silver ships are coming yard by yard. Now I'm not asleep. Don't obey
3: the elite. Gotta beat to the head. Now I start to wonder. Now we're not the sheep that they bred us to be. Gotta beat to the head. Now we start to wonder. Now
2: Time of corruption and crime since the visitors set me straight i encourage you to go when you see the saucers glow one by one we'll all end up awake enlightening the masses is hard silver ships are coming yard by yard now we're
3: not asleep
2: The system starts to die, the balls hate it.